0: What is going on, No Bad Dog Army? Tom Davis here. Thank you, as always, so much for joining me. I really do appreciate it. Today we have a very special episode for you guys with something that I just... You guys are just living through my selfish, wanting to know more information about dogs curiosity. And that's exactly what this particular episode is on. I had a podcast, if you guys can remember, a couple episodes back not too long ago, a lady was telling just, and maybe, maybe I didn't put it up. I can't remember, but she asked me about rattlesnake training. And I was like, you know what? I don't really know a lot about it. But then it just made me start thinking like, man, that's probably really cool. I mean, you get rattlesnakes, you get dogs, you get, a lot of remote collar usage. You get a lot of helping dogs uh, stay alive. Everything that I love about uh, what I do about helping dogs and their owners live a healthy, happy life uh, in in a different form. And so I just Googled um, Rattlesnake Training and uh, this particular company, Rattlesnake Ready, and Cody and his wife, Kate, have been uh, all over. And, and so that's who I was like, you know what, this is a young guy. He seems cool. I'm going to contact them. Uh, not that there was nobody else out there doing it. There's lots of people doing it. But um, I just like like the way that this company was put together online. And so uh, we, we reached out to them and they hopped on. And so this is what that is. And I'm really excited to, to put it out to you guys because it just goes over the importance of, you know, the, the, the balance of how you can work with dogs and the different things that you can do. And more importantly, the different types of style of training, using different tools that you can use to save a dog's life. And that's what this is about. And I hope that you guys enjoy this because I know that I did. Cody's a a great dude and uh, I I really enjoyed talking to him. I mean, it was like cool to, again, we don't get a ton of guests. We get a lot of requests to be on the podcast. And I just, you know, I want to talk to people that, I mean, to be honest with you guys, and I don't want to sound a certain way, a lot of people who approach me to get on the podcast, which is pretty regularly, they just, it just seems like, you know, they just want to promote. The, I mean, and this is the business, right? Like, I understand they they want to promote their new book or, uh, you know, whatever. And I just want people on the podcast that's going to benefit my audience. Like, I'm not trying to, I mean, unless it's, Somebody, you know, if this guy put out a rattlesnake book, I mean, I've just had people on the podcast that are promoting stuff and they don't take it that seriously. And it's just, it's not that fun to be honest. I mean, it's just my experience. And so I get people on the podcast or I have guests in the podcast that I really want to talk to that I think is going to add value to your guys' lives. That's why... Almost every other episode is just me talking to dog owners and helping them through things because I know that that's going to hit home with somebody. So, this is just a nerding out fun podcast. You guys can get the little, you guys can get a little bit more information about how how rattlesnake. Uh, aversion training works, and e-collar work, and it's fun. So, hope you guys enjoy the podcast. Make sure you listen to the end because I'm going to be answering three of your dog training questions. If you want me to answer your specific questions, all you have to do is head over to the iTunes review chart and leave your review and your question in the review. Don't forget, we're going on tour. Yay, we're leaving this weekend. We're going to Nashville to load in to go across the United States to tour. And don't forget, there's still audit spots available. Link in the description below. Every single location that we go to across this United States tour, we're doing a meet and greet between 5.30 and 6.30 at the exact venue that we are training at so i will be at these venues even if you don't have time you don't have money during the day to come out and audit and watch you guys can come and meet me buy some merchandise talk dogs and um, i just want to meet the no bad dog army that's why we're doing it we're gonna it's gonna be so fun link in the description below i'll talk to you at the end of the podcast
1: uh my name is cody uh will last name's will a lot of people call me that too but um we live in cave creek arizona uh, which is kind of a suburb of phoenix Um, I run a business called Rattlesnake Ready LLC and essentially we're a full-time dog training business that completely specializes in rattlesnake aversion training for dogs. And so, um, just real quick, it's basically from the reality that dogs get bit by rattlesnakes a lot in parts of the Southwest and uh, we combat that by teaching dogs to keep their noses out of them.
0: Makes sense. That's important. Do you have a... Like a statistic on, because I know rattlesnakes are big, obviously in Arizona, parts of California and other places. Is yeah. there like a stat that you would, that you have about how many dogs get bit per year?
1: Uh, I, I've heard all kinds of numbers. I don't know what's true and accurate, but it's in the, I, I imagine nationwide it's in the thousands, um, here in Arizona alone. I mean, there's some vets that can get several rattlesnake bites in a single day. Um, it's, you know, some emergency vets just down the road from us. And so I don't have an actual number, but it's, it's up there. Um, and, uh, yeah, it's, it's more, more so than humans. Cause you know, we generally aren't putting our noses in bushes and holes and stuff. So, yeah. um, yeah, I would guess it's somewhere in Arizona alone in the several hundreds, if not thousands in a year.
0: Yeah. And it's, uh, I mean, in somebody who doesn't live in that area at all, I live in upstate New York and, um, and before, you know, I kind of have my whole adult life. So obviously the stuff that we see in the movies and shit like that, like, so it's obviously deadly. So for a dog, because they're smaller than humans for the most part, like, how does that work? Your dog, you're out for a hike with your dog, you know, and, and all of a sudden they get nailed. Like what, what happens usually?
1: Yeah. I mean, it's, it's very serious. Um, so there's a lot of variables. So, um, you know, the health and size of the dog plays a role in how serious the bite is, the bite itself, like what kind of rattlesnake it was, how much venom was injected, where the dog was bitten and all that plays a role. But generally speaking, I mean, at minimum, there's a lot of pain, a lot of swelling. If you look at pictures online, you'll see, and usually the, when the dog gets bit, it's typically somewhere in the face area, like muzzle or, um, you know, mouth area like that. Sometimes it's in other spots, but it's usually in the face. Um, yeah. And they swell up really bad. Uh, general rule is get them to the emergency vet as soon as possible. Typically they'll administer anti-venom among, you know, other supportive treatment and, uh, the vet bill can run in mm. excess of a couple thousand dollars easily. And, uh, and then there's always the chance that the dog could die from it too. Um, so it's, it's definitely a serious ordeal. I'd say smaller dogs are way more at risk of dying from it. Big, bigger, like medium to, uh, large breed dogs that are on the, you know, healthy, uh, not super young puppies, but not super old either. They, they should get through it statistically speaking. Mm. Um, but, uh, you know, even, whether they survive or not, it's, it's a really painful, um, experience for them. Um, again, just looking at the photos, you can dig up online. We have a couple on our website as well. Um, yeah, it's, it's a, it's a lot of pain and, uh, yeah, not fun. So,
0: yeah, I have seen, I have seen that one picture that kind of went viral. The, it looked like a lat, like a yellow lab or like a cream lab with the face that was like, and a lot of people are Like saying like he saved his owner or something like that. Something happened. I
1: don't know. Yeah. uh, I didn't see that exact post, but I see a lot of stuff go around like that and not to be the Debbie downer on, you know, whether the dog was saving the owner or not. What we see is when dogs encounter a rattlesnake, they're curious. So they aren't, they're not necessarily running in to save the day and save the owner. They're running in to see what the thing is that they just found uh, is, sure Get, there was one that actually locally we had a similar story where this like six-month-old golden retriever puppy, you know, dove in front of a snake to save its mom. But, I mean, how would it know to do that having never run into one before? And and so, again, typically, because when we do our training, they want to run right up to the rattlesnake to see what it is, whether the owner's there or not. And, um, yeah, which is an unfortunate problem because they typically, as I was saying earlier, get bit somewhere in the face. And then it's a pretty chaotic day from – then onward.
0: Yeah. And you know, that, that's how the, that's how the news works. They want to dramatize the, the six month old puppy saved dog owners life in the desert. You know, <laughs> that's how that <laughs> goes.
1: Yeah. It sounds great. Maybe there's an, uh, yeah, maybe there's one case where that could be kind of true. I don't really know, but I don't, like I guess I don't want to be a Debbie downer, but I see it all the time and it's usually cause they're, they want to see what the, the, the little buzzing rope thing is.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, I use uh, and again, like kind of introducing myself to use. We use all sorts of different types of remote collars for all sorts of different types of training. Obviously, mm-hmm. we do it for behavioral version training, and we we do it for you know bridging things and and marking, and we use it for all sorts of different things to capture things. It's, yeah. it's a lot of fun. And one thing that I, you know, that's why I had reached out to you, and that's why we're meeting right now is like. I try to get as much knowledge as I can about the tools that we're using and, and continuing to grow about how other people are doing it. So I'm super interested yeah. in how you guys kind of, and I know, you know, it's it's like somebody asking me, like, how do you train a dog to stop trying to bite somebody? I know you probably you have to say this all the time, but so I apologize, but I'd really like to know how, and you don't have to go into too much detail, but how do you guys, and I was looking on your website that I think it says anywhere from like six months on, that you can start the training. So how do you guys typically start the aversion training f- for the rattlesnakes typically?
1: Yeah. You want to hear more about the process? Or yeah. Like,
0: about- yeah, yeah, yeah. I'd like to know like the so, steps. Yeah,
1: exactly. Yeah. So, um, and that's laid out pretty transparently on the website. We make try to make it so people when they do go to it. Um, you know, they, they know exactly what to expect. And, uh, but basically it's four steps typically for, for new dogs, which are dogs that have never been through any, um rattlesnake avoidance training so uh they're fitted with an e-collar and uh, we have a desert landscape training area at our facility we also do in-home lessons so we'll go to people's backyards to do the training and uh we have live rattlesnakes that we use they're muzzled so they can't bite Um, so we use like a medical tape muzzle that's humane for the snakes but um, they're you know rendered harmless and so we start with a small snake first that we put out in a spot that's relatively easy to see. So the dogs get a good first clear, you know, look at it. And, uh, essentially we we'll let the dog encounter the snake just like they would in their own backyard or, or in our desert landscaped area, like on a hike. And as I kind of already alluded to, most dogs are happy to run up right up and investigate what it is. And so, Essentially, we're using the e-collar as a substitute for the snake bite that would occur if this wasn't a controlled scenario. And so um, typically they're infatuated with the snake because it's something new. They want to run up and see what it smells like. And just as they do that and get too close, that's when we give them a correction with the collar. And because of the proximity to the snake and how interested in it they were, they usually blame the snake for where that correction came from and then pretty quickly back off. Um, if they, you know, doesn't phase them and they go back for more, we do it again and they kind of catch on to the pattern of, okay, you know, I'm getting corrected when I'm too close to the snake for dogs that have had e-collar experience, you know, they just assume the correction, you know, maybe it did have something to do with the collar, but they still learn it just fine. A lot of dogs we work with have never had an e-collar on before and they're literally fooled into thinking the snake was the source of it. Mm -hmm. Um, and so, yeah, it works very efficient and effectively, um. And as little as just one or two, you know, carefully timed and executed corrections with that first snake. Uh, We don't expect them to learn the whole lesson from that, but they can because they got close to a real rattlesnake. But then we supplement that with two uh, additional steps um, using a, a speaker and a shed skin from a rattlesnake. The shed skin is simply an item that smells like rattlesnake, but doesn't necessarily look like it. It's not alive. It doesn't rattle. We let them sniff that out, usually approach it from downwind. And as the dogs show interest in that as well, we'll reinforce that's a bad odor, even if you don't see the snake present. And then a lot of cases, if the dog got a good width of the real snake in that first step, they already know to avoid the skin. So we see that a lot too. Um, Followed by that is the speaker step. There's a speaker hidden in some bushes that we play a nice, loud, realistic recording of a rattlesnake. And uh, essentially we teach them to run from rattling. We play a loud recording. I usually have the owner be involved in this step too. They'll yell a command, like leave it or something. They themselves run away from the sound too and that kind of helps sell it better. Uh, that's the only step we do that on We don't do that on the other steps because w- with this training we don't want a whole lot of owner involvement because we're teaching mm-hmm. the dogs to we're teaching the dog to avoid the snake for their own good. And so they're not needing to hear commands like leave it or no or whatever to know to leave the snake alone. We want them to choose on their own to leave the snake alone. And so anyway, um, followed by the, the sound part, the last thing we do is bring out an adult rattlesnake. Um, you know, whereas the first one was on the smaller side. That's just kind of so the dogs got to see a couple different sizes. Usually by that point, they want absolutely nothing to do with it. though. So if we can't get them near it and they're willingly avoiding it, um, then they're they're good to go. And, uh, that's essentially it.
0: Cool. Do you do f- like follow-ups? You know, if, if you did that with like a six month old puppy, yeah, they would <laughs> probably learn quick. I would assume, but do you do like follow-ups over time or? Yes.
1: Yeah. So we recommend yeah, that varies a little bit per dog too. Uh, generally speaking, this is kind of one of the few dog trainings that you can really get it done in one shot. Like mo- as long as the, first round like went smooth the dog clearly understood the message like they get it down really well we do want people to test to make sure that's true though and so that's what we encourage follow-up visits for which those are a half price version where the better word is actually pop quiz (laughs) so a follow-up is more of a put the snake out see what the dog remembers and this can be anywhere from you know six months to a year later we get people that just are adamant about making sure that the dog remembers so they'll bring them back on the earlier side um, but if the dog did really well, I usually tell people, honestly, a year later is, is a good, um, good amount of time to test the long-term effectiveness of it, but also not like too much time that hopefully they didn't forget. And so, and I would say that the reason we're not pushy with follow-ups is, I mean, over nine out of 10 times, the dog remembers the snake really well and wants nothing to do with it the second time they see it. And, uh, and that's kind of how we know that it works well the first time, you know, occasionally we get a knucklehead or two that needs a yeah. good reminder but uh, which is to be expected. And you know, you'd brought up like a six month old puppy, usually dogs that are under a year when they first go through it. We strongly push follow-ups on those. Seems like once they've hit a year and older, their retention gets even better. Um, but under a year, six months to a year, they're old enough for the training, but the retention is still really high. But uh, we've noticed some of those younger ones need a little reinforcement um, about six months later. And then, then that's pretty good after that. Yeah.
0: Um, Cool. Yeah. So I had a I I talked to one of my trainers earlier at my facility and I just told her I said hey I'm doing this rattlesnake prevention training uh, podcast with this with this guy and I'm super excited and she was saying that and I wanted to like run run this by you to see if you've done this before if you've heard of this. She was saying that she she was watching this one training video where they would condition the dog to essentially recall when the rattlesnake odor was found. So basically same thing that you're doing is that the rattlesnake would come out or the scent would come out and then the dog would recall and the dog would get paid, which I get. And I was like, okay. And what the, I guess the benefit of having the dog conditioned to respond to a recall when they smelt the rattle or saw the smell first, I would assume. And then uh, is to also, uh, alarm and alert the owner that there's a rattlesnake in the area
1: yeah and so that is kind of sometimes just like a natural side effect of the training so i don't actually specifically train the dog to recall like straight to the owner i mean a lot of them just kind of naturally do because after they have their scare with the snake they run right to the owner and i always tell people you can pet your dog raise them at any point during this training they're not doing anything wrong they're just learning that rattlesnakes aren't fun to be close to They're, they're not being a bad dog or anything so um we don't necessarily like specifically teach them to run to the owner really what our my ultimate goal is to keep them out of the emergency vet and so simply we're teaching them to leave the snake alone and back off and so some dogs will run right back to the owner that's just how they are Others, you know, will just leave the snake alone and get on with their day and go all swear to explore. Um, so to me, it's the key thing is making sure they know to leave the snake alone. You know, some bark at the snake and stay back several feet. We usually encourage that behavior when it pops up because I tell the owner, that's one thing you do want them barking at if you yeah. find one, you know. So there's ways that, and that's also why, too, we let owners be involved in the training is we, whatever kind of organic behavior pops up as a result of the training, the owner got to see how it went down mm-hmm. and then the few—I kind of know what to look for because we've had dogs that on trails just put the brakes on and don't want to go any further and sure enough it's because they caught wind of one and they just froze right there which is great and then you get some that bark at them so i'm not necessarily trying to draw out any specific um behavior we could probably do that it, w- it would take a little more you know time and effort because we would try and and build that and uh do more repetition and stuff like that but my goal is to get them in and out fairly quickly, not for the sake of just blowing through it, but because it's kind of a scary lesson, we're spooking them to avoid rattlesnakes. Um, we don't want to draw it out longer than necessary. And so my goal is to more or less afraid slash respect them and, you know, give them space. Um, yeah. And we do get some that just automatically return to their owner, but I wouldn't say it's something I specifically teach them to do. Um, but not to say, not to say that couldn't be done. Um, that's, uh, yeah. I mean, every owner, ideally wants their dog to react in a way that they can read really easily. And that's how they know there's a snake there. Um, but usually, usually you can see that from going through the training, um, the way we do it now.
0: Yeah. It's just amazing. You know, as you're talking through what, how you guys do things, it's amazing to just think about all the other things like in the, in the dog world that is pretty much the same foundation, rather it's, yeah. you know, bomb detection, drug detection, cadaver con- detection, um, search and rescue. It's it's all a conditioning response thing. And it's pretty, like, as you're, that's why I wanted to have you on is because it gets, it gets the brain going where, so you could, essentially what you're doing is you're obviously teaching the dog through an aversive of the dog gets close to this thing and then they get a correction. And then there's a lot of other ways outside of that, like if you were doing, if you were doing detection to, um, mm. teach the dog to like alert that there's something there, they would, they would do a different behavior. They may sit or they may point naturally, like hunting dogs yes. would have yes. you, have you had, I'm just curious, uh, have you had those like really squirrely like GSPs or, or any of those like really squirrely field beagles that are like, just like loving this thing. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs>
1: yeah we get uh, it's fun because we do a high volume of dogs so i just get to see different dogs different breeds every day and all kinds of different responses and sometimes it's more of a personality thing than a breed thing in, in terms of how they do with it right but um yeah i mean they're all different and uh you just brought up pointers i've had several pointers that point the rattlesnake after they've found it and you know for the the non-hunting crowd, they think that's cool, and then the hunting crowd is like, "Well, shoot! Now if I go flush a bush to try and get a quail out, is there going to be a <laughs> rattlesnake there?" Yeah. So, um, yeah, but yeah, all kinds of different behaviors come out, and that's why, as you were saying, like with all detection type dogs, you know, they've been trained to not only respond to a cue but respond a certain way to that cue. I'm not as picky, like they don't need to respond um, in a specific way other than simply back off from these things because they're dangerous. And so, like I said, I've had dogs point them, I've had dogs bark at them, and I've had dogs that simply shy away from them and get on with their day. And so the end goal, though, is all of those dogs know not to approach it, and that's what's going to keep them from getting hurt. Um, and so um, I would say, like, in a way, I, I'm not really creating rattlesnake detection dogs. <laughs> right, right kind of am, but also it's more uh, teaching dogs the same things we know, which is, hey, don't mess with a rattlesnake. And that's what's going to, because most of the time when a dog gets bit, it was probably a preventable one, meaning they Mm -hmm. encounter it, the snake did not want to bite the dog. But, you know, as the dog gets right up in the snake's face, the snake interprets that dog as a predator and it has to defend itself. And so that's where, you know, bites to the face typically occur and had that dog known that this thing was a threat it should have, you know, backed off sort of thing. Yeah, you know, there's occasional bites where a dog steps on one, didn't see it. or mm. just like with Pete, you know, that can happen as well. But, uh, generally speaking, a lot of bites are, are they're just innocently curious. And so we're essentially teaching them to not do that and, uh, keep them out of trouble that way.
0: Yeah, no, that's great. I love it. And what, what e-callers do you guys usually use? Like what type
1: I uh, when I started the business, I did a lot of research and I landed on the Dogtra e collars, and uh, that's what I've used ever since. And I know there's a lot of great ones out there. I know some a lot of trainers that use like e collar technologies, and I know the Garmin ones have taken off. And um, yeah, I've I started with Dogtra, and they've been great, reliable collars, and I've been using them ever since. <laughs> so we run the 1900s for like the bigger dogs. And then we have their IQ model for the smaller dogs. I'm actually about due to get a whole new round of new collars. So I'm going to get a couple of their other models too. They just came out with a, uh, a micro size pretty recently, which we do get little tiny. I just did a 2.7 pound Yorkie Maltese mix the other day (laughs) and would have been handy to have that micro collar um, for that one.
0: Yeah. Yeah. It's amazing. And um, for those of you who are listening, i uh cody and i didn't know each other before this and cody didn't know anything about me but i have my own signature series collar with dogtra so it's funny that you okay. yeah so it's funny that you said dogtra because like out of you could have said anything and i wouldn't have cared regardless but that's the same thing with me as i i grew up on the old dogtra ncps um okay. just doing recall and stuff and um and so we actually came out with like a Tom Davis series. It's their it's Dogtruss first e-collar that they have a boost on. So we yeah, so we included a boost on it and um it's like a cool colored collar too. So anyway. You
1: know what? It's funny you say that the uh, small world cuz I was just on there the other day looking at um they're out of stock of the the I think the 282C which I want for smaller dogs as well and uh I was looking through and I remember seeing that collar so Cool. I get to meet the face now. That's
0: me. Yeah. <laughs> yeah.
1: That's well, cool. Yeah. So, nice.
0: yeah, they're great. Yeah. Um, I agree. So, when you're, and, 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 you know, everybody from dog owners to professionals listen to to the podcast. And, and, um, so some people will, will know some of the lingo and, and numbers and stuff. So, when you're using like a, like a 1900S, like a higher output collar, and, um, what, just so I know and people who are listening knows, like, what, what numbers are you usually starting on for that yeah. version?
1: Yeah, that's a good question, and we get asked that a lot here too. Like, but you know, it's funny because when customers ask us that question, they don't know the scaling DogTree uses, you know, compared to their own callers if it's a different brand, and and so. And to be completely honest, a lot of times I don't even necessarily look right at the remote. Like I'm watching the dog and their reaction. And so typically when they're infatuated with the snake and run up to it, uh, we always start low in case it is a super sensitive dog. Um, low meaning, I mean, I can have it set at 20, 30, somewhere in there. And I've had dogs that jump and run away from the snake at a level as low as that. And then I've had other dogs that don't even feel that you know, range. And so typically, as they get close to the snake, I'm actually nicking away at light levels as I'm gradually increasing until I see the reaction that I want, um, which is typically jump and back off from the snake. And so... <laughs> I would say most dogs respond between, on average, probably between forty and sixty, and that collar goes zero to one twenty-seven, and uh, usually a forty to sixty will stop them and get them to jump back, and that doesn't mean you know screaming backflip, um, but it right. isn't like a lynch either. Like it usually is just enough to get their attention and spook them, and uh, and this is where if they don't go near the snake again i'll leave it right there if they kind of jump and then they go right back for more the next one's going to be a little higher and we kind of stair step up from there until they're totally done with it mm-hmm. uh, had dogs that need it all the way up i've had dogs need it all the way up and on constant it was the only way to get them off the snake um, and so again they're all different we see reactions across the board um sure. i don't know if if you agree with this or not, but it seems like coat type can kind of affect what they feel and how they feel it and all that. And so, yeah, I've had, yeah, I've, I've used that full range of, uh, of levels on their collars. Um, and it's different for every dog, but like I said, between 40 and 60 is probably average for, for most that have never felt it before. Um, usually dogs that have had some e-collar work before, if I just go a tad higher than they're used to, that usually does the trick. um, yeah, it's kind of like I said. I'm mostly looking at their reaction rather than you know numbers. Yeah. Um, yeah. So
0: now when you yeah. when you say you're nicking, so uh, so let's say you know you know where the snake is when the dog's out, right? Yep. Okay. Yeah, so absolutely. the yeah. Okay. So the dog's going towards the snake, and then you're just nicking like tap tap or. Ha-
1: uh, I mean, I usually hold out till they're right up on the snake, and this is where honestly, just because of how long I've done it it's hard to explain, but you know, when you, when you've used the same colors for years and you know the settings and everything, well, like you can be, it's like a video game. You can be pretty quick. And so generally speaking, like the minute they're right at the perfect spot. So, and every dog's different. Some approach it very slowly. They're like tiptoeing, like, what is this thing? And they're being cautious about it. That one probably needs a lower level. Whereas if the dog is like full you know, Mm -hmm. run, right at the snake. I'm going to have to hit them a little harder and a little further back to protect the snake basically. Uh, but generally as soon as they notice it and you have dogs different too. some will see it and go up to it. Others they're, you know, they're pretty camouflaged. So a lot of dogs don't see it until they're right next to it. And all of a sudden if it rattles and they look down right at it, that's the perfect moment to correct them because it was paired with the surprise of the snake. Got it. And so um, yeah, that's where I'll kind of might jump to a level that I feel you know, should work for that dog. And I uh, yeah, usually can nail it the first one or two corrections like right off the bat. Um, and like I said, I- I've also done it too, where I feel like I hit them at the right time, but I could tell it wasn't quite enough to fully get their attention. So then I'll very quickly jump the level and hit and do a second nick, basically two back to back. And it's because I could tell that first one didn't quite get their attention good enough. But I didn't want to miss this first opportunity to really, you know, convince them. And so, again, it's hard to explain, but it's, uh, yeah, I have to be pretty quick on the fingers because this whole training and the skill behind it is completely wrapped up in getting the timing perfect and, you know, when, and when, and where to correct, because if you do it too late too or, you know, too early, um, Mm -hmm. not enough, that can all impact the way the rest of the training goes. And if the dog really fully understands or not. Um, so that's something that, yeah, I feel like I've kind of developed over the years a pretty good skill, at least with this specific training. Um, Yeah.
0: And I think it's, it seems it doesn't matter if it's obedience or as serious as what you're doing. I think almost all the training that you're doing with dogs is life or death. I mean, and, but with what you're doing, it really is obviously amplified quite a bit because you're dealing with a, a, a natural, uh, I don't know if you want to call it a predator, but I mean, it's it's something that can kill your dog if, if, if you're not paying attention. And so, you know, one thing that, that I always try to explain to the public and try to explain to my clients and try to explain to just dog people who are hungry for information. So in, in the Arizona world, like you're probably so busy with doing your remote collar training because so many people love their dogs and they do not. And they enjoy outside and I think living in that area like it's inevitable like even I've had some clients that live in, in like the Scottsdale area and it's like it doesn't matter if you're downtown in a really nice area. It's still like the whole place is dry and like there's the red rocks and it like to somebody who doesn't live there the whole place looks like. Arizona, you Mm -hmm. know, unless you're like probably downtown Phoenix, like the whole place is, you know, there's cactus and there's, there's, there's palm trees and there's just like red rocks everywhere. It looks like a big desert. So I'm sure I I would assume you're extremely busy. What is the, is there any, and I'm just, this is just a selfish question for me, but is there pushback from, from people in your community about, uh, just aversion training in general? Cause I know across the board, all across the world, actually, there's this, educational missing piece from a lot of like re- what remote callers and e-callers can do and the benefits mm-hmm. of them and how life-saving they can be in, in a behavioral, you know, case of training, a basic recall training. And of course, in your case, it's like, like for what, if I did like a a session with a six month old dog on recall, cause their owners wanted to go hiking all the time, mm-hmm. you know, somebody could argue, well, they'll never run away. And it's like, okay. But like where you live, it's like, if you're going to go outside with your dog there's a good chance at some point that that dog or or do you want to flip that coin? So my question is is do you have pushback in Arizona from from others uh, rather are other trainers or just dog lovers who don't understand it? I'm just curious to see like what the community yeah. like is like that.
1: Just uh, tor- toward the training or the e callers in general? Just
0: in though. general like I mean you're literally like te- teaching dogs not to get bit by rattlesnakes like how does yeah. that
1: We, I mean, so luckily most of our clientele, by the time they call us to schedule, they've already, you know, I feel like anymore, a lot of people do a lot of research on things, especially for their dogs before they make a run with it. Hmm. And so I would say we actually, we don't get a lot of pushback and it's cause I think they already kind of did research and they feel comfortable with the process. Um, Now that doesn't mean we don't get any, we, we do get, um, you get, we get a handful of people pretty regularly that are in that boat of, okay, a quick correction is way better than getting, you know, bit by a rattlesnake. Like I get that, but they don't want to scare their dog, you know? And so that's where, you know, sometimes I catch myself like, and and that's the thing too. I don't want to sell this. I want people to want it. Like I don't want to convince somebody they need this. It's like mm-hmm. if I had a dog and I lived in Arizona, which ironically, you know, I play with other people's dogs all day long. We don't have our own, but, um, so I say that, you know, if I had my own and I live anywhere near desert, it's worth doing the training because they are at risk of encountering one and getting hurt. And so, um, yeah, we get, we get, uh, how should I say it? Not skeptical, but just like, Concern people that they're already convinced they want to do it and i'm usually pretty thorough about I, part of the process when people come here is they fill out paperwork we take the payment and then i just literally walk them through the whole process in detail and just to make them as comfortable as possible knowing exactly what to expect and it's actually kind of fun that i almost find it um it's a good challenge to we get these people that come in that are really concerned by the end of the training they loved it they're like oh that wasn't so bad wow i'm so proud of the dog it responded so well that was great so i actually almost kind of welcome some of those those types that are concerned because um it's been fun to watch them become believers in the training and really end up promoting it instead of being you know concerned and i think some of that concern comes from there are other people that do this as well and uh probably are way too harsh with the correcting and and things like that and you know, you see these videos on YouTube or places, and sometimes that can create a, a bad rap for the training, and that's where you get some people that come to us and and think that we're just going to abuse their dogs. And the reality is, no, like we're going to spook them just enough to make them respect and know to avoid rattlesnakes, and uh, and, that, and that's mm. it. Um, but uh, yeah, I, I'd say there's there's some, and I think the ones that are very like anti-collar in general, they just never call us to begin with, you know?
0: Yeah. Yeah. I just wasn't sure if, if you, you know, like a a lot of, um, you know, there's a lot of politics in the dog world and, and my objective is to not argue with anybody or any of those people. My objective is to say, Hey, if you're a dog owner and you're having problems with your dog, don't put your, don't put all your eggs in one basket and say that there's only one way to train this dog. Because of course, you know, we see this a lot with dog owners who come in that their last dog or their past dog or their family dog had never needed issue, never needed training. And then they have a dog with serious issues and then they end up. So I just tell people to, you know, usually the research and the proof is in the pudding, but unfortunately the internet is a blessing and a curse. There's a lot of people out there that, you know, also are just idiots. And it it makes, it makes people who who use like the same equipment, but in much different ways, maybe throw, um, shade on, on, on what you do and and what I do and other people do. And so I was just curious, yeah. you know, like just with the, with, with all the politics in the dog world and, um, yeah. how that works just, I was just curious. Yeah. So yeah. when you're doing, um, this avoidance, so you could, you could essentially do this with anything that has a scent. Is that fair?
1: Yeah. I mean, anything that the dog's is just, I mean, almost anything new, you know, most dogs are, happy to investigate. So I mean, theoretically you could do it with almost anything we actually used to do. So Arizona, it's, it's a amazing, beautiful place, but there's a bunch of fun stuff out here. We also get poisonous toads out here that dogs get in trouble with as well. And so we, uh, used to offer a version training for those two, we're so busy with rattlesnake training long story short I just recently made the judgment call to pass that off to somebody else and just keep focusing on the snake part. Um, so we actually have a, a friend of mine that does toad avoidance training out here in the Phoenix area as well um, and so anyway so yeah theoretically for lots of other things this same system could could work um, if you know done carefully.
0: Yeah, because you're cause you you're basically. I'm just again. I'm my head keeps going back to, um, like hunting dogs or or, or people who use dogs for, you know, coon training or mountain lion or, or or rabbit training or any type of like game train or birds or whatever. I mean, whatever's popular or whatever. It's just like it's it's similar as you're you're teaching the and a lot of these breeds have instinctual desires to do some of the things that they want to do anyway it's just you're just flipping it around where you're just doing the opposite we're we're discouraging you know we're discouraging the dog from going to this smell have you worked with uh dogs who have been deaf and you've only been using it for because you said the sound box and stuff you've just done the scent right
1: yeah. So we, and we've, I've worked with blind dogs. I work with deaf dogs. Um, you know, we get some older dogs too, that are a little bit of both. And um, so luckily the training, every dog can learn it to the best of their own ability, whatever that is. And you know, with certain handicaps, like, I mean, because it hits on other senses too. Um, so for instance, a deaf dog, we just skip that recording step, but they're still getting to, to see the the live rattlesnakes and learn to avoid them. They're still getting to pick up on the odor through the real snakes themselves, plus the scent step that we do. Um, so yeah, because it hits on all senses, you know, for dogs that you know are or blind, we can same thing focus on scent, but also sound and whatever's working. We can teach them to avoid that. Um,
0: yeah, yeah. Have you uh ha- have you ever been bitten by a Rattlesnake in your teachings and
1: yeah, uh, not so. I have been bit by a rattlesnake before about three years ago. And ten years of doing this, Uh, it wasn't related to the training though. It was. uh, uh, We actually have a twenty four hundred square foot like nature center. Uh, We have a zoo license. We have a bunch of rattlesnakes on display. We try to educate the public on rattlesnakes too, Um, and so that's why we more or less built that. Um, One, yeah, one of the snakes in the collection had a medical condition that I was addressing and. Long story short, I didn't have it uh, restrained properly, which one of those things where, you know, you do something a million times, you can get complacent over time. <laughs> and uh, I uh, I knew I cut a corner when it came to being safe, and that's all it took. And it, it got me in the right index finger and spent two days in ICU. And, and uh, yeah, it was not a fun ride, but I took it as a learning experience and got more careful and moved on. But uh, during the training itself, you know, that's the snakes are muzzled and, and uh, they're again, rendered harmless. So yeah, my only accident was, was screwing up on one of the other snakes in our collection that we don't even use for the the training. Um,
0: When you're using, are there certain, and this is again, just a selfish question for me. and I want to know is do, do snakes have different behaviors? Like I'm sure they do, right?
1: Yeah, yeah. Um, I think the the word I use when I'm describing the different snakes, uh, they just have different temperament, you know. Um, you could say personalities, whatever word you want to use, but mm-hmm. the reality is, is, you know, you can put three diamondbacks side by side and there's some predictable behaviors you'll see, but then you get some that are more relaxed and calm than others and you get some that are way more defensive than others. And uh, we kind of have a collection now of snakes that are basically right in the middle. Um, so they are... Not so high strung that they're hard to, you know, keep happy in captivity, but not so mellow that they're also kind of useless, you know, for the the training. So uh, we've kind of got a, a collection that I've fine tuned over the years that are just the right temperament where they will put on a show and rattle and act like a rattlesnake, but they're pretty reluctant to strike and are easy for me to work with and do great in captivity. Um, so yes, they, they, cool. they, they, yeah, they do. And I'm grateful for that because I can you know, get what I need. And they're not just all impossible to work with.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Cause I can, Im- I, I mean, that's like a, that's like a double, double whammy for you is you get to work with dogs, but then you get to hang out with some rattlesnakes. So, so yeah. you, um you have them at your house or is the, is the nature place off your personal property or.
1: I don't know if you could be, Oh, yeah, I can find me here on, on FaceTime. But um, yeah. so we've got a yeah, the the property is a combination of our business and our residence. So um, the house is on one side of the property, and then the zoo and training facility is on the other side. And so our nature center is where all of the, the training rattlesnakes are held. And then we have a bunch of other more exotic stuff that we have on display um that we don't use for the training but yeah they're they're all in the yeah you know, part of that too is we we try to communicate like I actually do this because you know I love animals grew up with dogs and love them but I also love reptiles too and this business began out of a passion for for both and uh so we have our training snakes that again I take great pride in how we care for them and you can see them on display here you can see that they're healthy and live in big healthy you know to a uh, big exhibits, um, where they have all their basic needs met. And, um, yeah, so they're, uh, so n- no, they're not in the house when I first started, that's where they were. But, uh, as soon as we could and had this built, they were in their own building. <laughs> we've got a baby right now. So one of the key things was to get those out of the house, um, to make sure our household was totally safe and, you know, they're in locking exhibits now.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I, I could imagine that would be a top priority, as you grew your company to get those things in a separate uh, living space and it's yeah, your your wife Kate right you you guys run the business together yeah. that's cool how we o- do
1: yeah she does all the sketch and admin and everything and i do the actual training and the snake care
0: cool yeah i think that that's who we were emailing with i would assume how old your yeah. ba- how old is your baby
1: uh, he's 4 months
0: mine too how, what was his birthday
1: nice uh, uh, july
0: 7th oh mine was july 8th My baby, holy cow!
1: (laughs) That's funny. Yeah, yeah.
0: His name is uh. Which my name is my son's name is Banks.
1: Okay, ours is also a B. It's Barrett.
0: Cool. Yeah, Yeah. that's that's funny. That's a small world. Yeah, it's been it's been a fun ride, hasn't it? He's sleeping and trying to sleep. Is he sleeping through the night?
1: I was gonna say, as a running a small business, and actually, she used to work here in the office where I'm sitting right now, and she would greet customers, fill out paperwork, take payment and I would, you know, have a little downtime in between each dog as she was taking care of that stuff. She's watching him all day and I'm back and forth doing both. <laughs> so it's been a little crazy, especially with the lack of sleep, but yeah. just, uh, about a week ago, he started sleeping through the night. He has a couple nights where he wakes up, but, um, she's been really good about all the sleep training and whatnot. And, uh, speaking of training, just a whole different kind of training there. But, um, yeah, yeah. Uh, He's, he's getting through the night most of the time, which I'm really grateful for.
0: (laughs) Yeah. That's nice. Yeah. Ours too. He's, he's starting to sleep through the night and it's been, it's been good. I think the first, you know, the first month and changes, you know, it's expected, it's exciting. And you know, when they wake up, you're like, Hey, and then it's like, Oh man, I'd love some sleep. Exactly. That's cool. Well, like I said, man, I, um, I really find it fascinating the the difference uh, in complexities, but also the same, it's like the same foundation. Like when we're doing again, any type of scent detection, whether it's search and rescue or cadaver work or yeah, any, any of this stuff where we say, Hey, go get it. Good job. Good job. Get it, get it, get it. And the dog is working and we're using tons of positive reinforcement. And we're like encouraging that to happen. Like, yeah, yeah, go find it. You're going to get paid heavily. So lots of positive yeah. reinforcement. And then we're, we're using essentially positive punishment but it's 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 um it's a superstitious positive punishment of like but but it's not even right because they know that it's the, or they think it's the snake so it's it's just like rewarding this behavior to find and get this thing and then it's correcting in balancing out like hey this is the exact opposite like we want to run yeah. away from this
1: and i i have to i'll interrupt you there to say yeah. i I've, i have to remind clients to like again we're We're not teaching them to, you know, as you're pointing out, like not to find this thing. We're teaching them, hey, if you do find one of these, get away from it. And Mm -hmm. that's what we we, we praise. Uh, And so that's something, too, I do try and incorporate, um, as I said earlier, You know, if the dog avoids the snake, runs to the owner, like I always tell him, like, you know, praise the heck out of him. He did what he was supposed to. He got away from it. And, uh, you know, there's ways we incorporate a little bit of positive reinforcement into it. But so much of it is simply teaching them, hey, you you see, smell, or hear one of these things, get out of there. Yeah,
0: yeah, your life depends on it. And if you – yeah, and that's that's interesting. And so it's – and now I wanted to say this earlier, but I forgot. So there's not a lot of difference – in what you're doing in the very popular like invisible fence mm-hmm. system right it's it's some sort of cue like it could be a, a you know and a lot of the invisible fences like they start off with a flag like hey get yeah. out it's uncomfortable when you go near there and it intensifies as you get closer so don't go there because I think a lot yeah. of dog owners just assume that dogs understand what they're doing their Their owners, like what property they bought in the plot of their land, and that's it's like no, those flags basically mean that if they go near that, they're getting they're getting corrected, I and mean, it's uncomfortable for them. And it's interesting to see the amount of scalability as that like that yellow lab big invisible fence van rolls through suburbs, and people are buying it left and right, and and. Really what they're doing is they're doing a lot of what you're doing with avoidance training, just you're doing it more modernized and a little bit more specific to to certain things. But isn't that the same type of training where the dogs are avoiding these things without the smell, obviously? Yeah,
1: Yeah, I would say in general, it's definitely very similar. It does have some of its differences because – you know, with the training, as you pointed out, like typically you have the flags and hopefully the goal is over time, you, you don't even need those flags there anymore. The dog's still avoiding that bound for that, that line. Mm-hmm. Um, I think with this training, it, they catch on really quick. And I think it's because with this training, you know, some dogs, I don't know if they immediately connected to the flags they might have to catch on after a few uh even with snake training sometimes it takes a few times but with the snake training there's something very new and exciting and tangible right there and so um again they're usually so you know curious about it and then when they get corrected they're very quick to blame the snake mm-hmm. um with the kind of in-ground uh, fence stuff um you know, some dogs get it immediately and then others kind of, you know, they don't exactly know where it came from sort of thing. They, they do, you know, they figure it out. But, um, again, I think with ours because we've had some people that have had their dog go through some other training and they were really worried that with this, it was going to have like crisscrossing issues mm-hmm. or the dog going to have flashbacks and cause it had, they had a bad experience with another trainer with the collar use or whatever. And, uh, and I usually, without pushing them to say, look, like I've had dogs with zero e-collar experience and I've some, had some dogs with, you know, moderate amount. And I've had some that probably get, they use it way too much for every random little thing. And they usually get through this training pretty well. And I think it's cause they don't overthink it. They show right. interest in something new, and then boom, something happens. Doesn't matter where it came from. They're like, okay, I'm not going near that again. You know?
0: Yeah. You're um, using it very one dimensional, but in a good way it's like don't overthink it it's not overly complicated it's if you're close to this thing that smells a certain way sounds a certain way looks a certain way it's bad and you need to get out of there and so as soon as they it's and again man my my brain's just going it's like it's the same conditioning for dog owners who are listening that if they if they hear a, a a chip bag and they've gotten a chip, like they're conditioned to to go to that. They're like, this means something for me potentially. Or if they're, if, you know, their owners are sitting there eating a steak and they've been paid from the table, dogs are so conditioned animals that it can work with you on so many aspects of punishment and aversion and aversive training, as well as of course, reward and, and trying to capture new things. And it's literally the same thing. It's just dogs understand it's balance, right? It's like good and bad.
1: Yeah, they catch on to patterns.
0: Exactly, and yeah. s- some of those patterns have scent. Some of those patterns have sound. Some of those yeah. patterns have all of that. So, anyway, that I mean, that's why I wanted. ooh, sorry. That's why I wanted to to uh, give you a call and, and talk to you about this because I find it. I and mean, we get all the time. We get people wanting to get on the podcast to talk about their new book about. Um, you know, like something I'd, I've never even heard of. And I'm like, no offense, it's probably a great book, but I, I just don't know anything about it. And it's it's like, you know, when I I was like, oh, I need to get a snake person on this podcast. So I'm really interested in this stuff because it's got so much to do with the actual hands-on life-saving training. And that's typically what I gravitate towards. So uh, I know you got to get to some, some, so when you do a tour of the facility, that means people just come and just check the place yeah. out.
1: So exactly. We get, we get some people that want to just kind of see the place and hear more about the dog training. And, you know, I'll, I'll, th- those are actually pretty rare. Um, because of our rattlesnake collection, we actually have one of the bigger rattlesnake collections in the country. We have all different kinds. And um, so we actually get a lot of like reptile people that, that want to see all that too. And so this, this is more reptile crowd that's coming than, than the dog training, but uh, 99% of what I percent of what i do is is the dog training that's what i birthed the whole business out of that's what is the whole show basically um but having this uh, big nature center too has also been kind of fun to do occasional like field trips and tours like this for people that are fanatics about the, the whole reptile part um so yeah that's what's uh happening here at, um shortly but um, cool yeah so how's he- I think I'm one of the few people out there that, uh, not to like toot my own horn, this just, just means I'm a, a weird breed, but I love both. A lot of people that are into this are a dog person who found some kind of reptile guy that could help them out. And they, t- they teamed up, um, or you get like a total reptile guy who just doesn't know anything about dogs. And, um, I pretty much, you know, I wouldn't say I'm a master at it at both, but I, I love both and passionate about learning about both. And so I've got a lot of knowledge and and the dog part and the snake part. And that's what I think makes our business work pretty well. Um, cause it's literally just myself and my wife, um, that, that do everything. And, uh, yeah, it keeps us plenty busy.
0: That's amazing. Yeah, man. Well, like I said, I appreciate you coming on. Um, and yeah, want, if you, it. yeah, yeah. It's, and what I'll do is I'm going to send you out. I'll send you out, uh, one of my callers. I want you to check it out because, um, it has that boost, so, uh-huh. and it has a, a bungee. So I don't know if you've ever used bungees or not, but it has that boost where you'll be able to jump just instantaneously, like to that higher yeah. level. So I'll, I'm going to send you one out and, um, you could check it out and you can, oh, that's, yeah, that's of awesome. Thank you. Yeah. Well, yeah. Oh, team, it. team dog show. So I'll, I'll send it out to yeah. you. And then, um, the yeah. Yeah. Uh, if I'll just link all your, your, uh, your website and all your social handles, if you have any, I'll just put them, put them right. in the description, but is there any like main, uh, social media page that you use on a regular?
1: Yeah. So, uh, the, the biggest thing is just the website itself, rattlesnake com. that lays out the whole training process and costs and details and our location and all that fun stuff. Um, we uh, we use Facebook and Instagram fairly regularly. Instagram, as of recently, I was pretty slow to to use that, but um, yeah. So that's uh, you know at Rattlesnake Ready, and then if you just look up Rattlesnake Ready LLC, that'll come up for Facebook, um, and that's for all the dog training part. Um, the property location I more or less call Rattlesnake Ranch. And, uh, we have a separate Instagram for that. That's just at .az, And that's for the snake part of the business. So be- <laughs> it's funny because, you know, we have two different crowds. We have the dog lovers who don't want to see in their newsfeed, constant pictures of rattlesnakes. Um, and then we get our reptile crowd that doesn't need to see a bunch of dogs. So we have kind of two separate ones. And, just I'm not bombarding the dog people with snake stuff. Um, you know, all the snake stuff is on the rattlesnake ranch one, and then the dog stuff is on the rattlesnake ready one. Um, so the rattlesnake ready is specifically the the dog training. What um, the name came from making sure that dogs are ready for a rattlesnake encounter. Um,
0: I love it. Training. Yeah, I, I love it, man. You're 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 saving many dogs' lives, I'm sure, or at least you're you're definitely saving lots of vet visits and lots of money. That's for sure. Yeah.
1: Yeah, we, we think so.
0: All right, man. Well, it's a pleasure having you on, and I'll send that stuff out to you, and uh, we'll talk to you soon. Thank you.
1: Awesome. Yeah, thank you so much.
0: All right. See you, Cody. Bye. Bye. All right, you guys, you've reached the end of the podcast, and I'm going to be answering three of your dog training questions. The first one comes, well, first one comes from SCMMAMD. This podcast is a great resource for understanding canines' ecology and training. I found the information you share very helpful while training and working my check Shepherd. Thank you so much. All right, and the last question for today is X H B Z R I or Z R Y, sorry. Behavior correction strategies. Hey Tom, love the podcast and I've learned so much helpful things raising and training my dog. I have a 6-month-old 40-pound mutt that we adopted at 3 months. She's done great with basic obedience and we introduced the 280E collar about 3 weeks ago to reinforce her training with the eventual goal of having control of her off-leash. We take her to dog a dog park close by that's pretty much pretty much every day and she loves it There are a great group of dogs and dog owners that frequent this place and she is comfortable and confident there to meet other dogs and people here's my question at the dog park she will get jealous if i pet another dog but try to stick her head in between us just just to get into their face she's never bitten or escalated further into situation but i interrupt or i'm sorry i interpret it as a guarding behavior she does not have any history of resource guarding or aggression I have dealt with the problem by trying to desensitize it through at the time at the park. I get down and pet her, and then other dogs at the same time to help, but only lasts until the next time we go to the park. So far, I have not corrected her with the e collar. She responds between a level three and four, and I can get her attention with moderate distraction at a ten or 12. My question is: is when does this behavior, when she does this behavior, would it be appropriate use of pager function? It's a great question. I. I don't, I wouldn't personally, um, just because I wouldn't want to associate the other dog with this. Um, the e-collar, as most of you know, or some of you know, as I talk about in my course is a very, um, or the, the pager that we use, the vibrate function that we use is a very like intervention style of training of like, Oh crap, this is dangerous. We should like like the snake training that we were just talking about, that type of stuff. I wouldn't give like a harsh like pager holy crap type of correction under those circumstances because it might do the opposite um i would just be working on like your verbal like hey quit the crap leave it um even putting like a tab leash on the dog and just popping the dog a little bit um so i i i just wouldn't unless it like escalated but um that's that's my answer um I, I i wouldn't i would just like leave it no or just do the best you can to ignore other dogs to be honest like i think that that's that's also something that you should do um but i, I would just verbally hey knock it off inappropriate nope have a tab leash, which is like a four inch leash that you put on the dog you can just grab and pop just say nope we're not doing that um and again just be careful how you're setting your dog up so anyway i hope that helps i hope you guys. Uh, enjoyed this podcast. Um, you're actually probably listening to this when we're on the road. I'm recording this now and I'm putting it out next week. So we should be on the road right now. Come out and meet me. Come hang out. I want to meet you guys. It's gonna be a lot of fun. We're filming the whole thing. So we want you guys in the vlogs. We want you guys out. We want, we want to see you guys. We want to meet you guys. Link in the description below for all the details. I'll talk to you guys next time. Bye.